Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Today's episode is the Market Research Zone. This is the second in our four-part series about the acquisition time zones, where we get more into the details than we did in the overview podcast earlier. So with that, let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today, we're here to talk about the market research zone. This is a continuation of our discussion of the acquisition time zones. The acquisition time zone, that's right. And the acquisition time zones, to refresh everybody, you go back to podcast number three, I believe, talks about the four acquisition time zones. And the first one is the requirement zone. The second one is the market research zone. The third one is the RFP zone. And then the fourth one is the source selection zone. So this is digging into the market research zone out of those four. Zone two. So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to describe what the market research zone is and what does it accomplish. We're going to cover different types of market research that the government uses. And of course, we're going to discuss what the government team should be doing during this phase and what industry should be doing during this zone. That's enough. That should, that should fill our time nicely. Yeah. So what is it? The government team at this point during the market research, the, the government team has the requirement. Remember we talked about their ethical requirements phase. They decided what exactly is the problem we're trying to solve. So the government team is looking at the requirement now through the lens of industry. In other words, they're moving from the requirement into what are the solutions to our requirement. If you go back to the previous podcast, you heard us talk about don't get into solutions, get into what problem you're trying to solve. Well, now we're getting into solutions. So this can lead back to the requirement zone because we find out, well, we had this problem. Here's one way to solve it hey, we can have this additional feature. So you go back and you add something to the requirement or you subtract something because it real, you realize that it's going to complicate the process. You may enhance some of the features based on what you discover industry can do. So you needed something that could, they could do something four times a month and turns out the industry standard is actually five. So now, oh, okay, well, we can use five. Right. We, we, in the requirement zone cast, we, we talked about there's how, how many iterations the requirement can go through and how you kind of keep cycling back through the requirement zone as you refine it with the market research zone. Correct. And, yeah. and another piece in here is that you can get into what, what is this thing really going to cost? Because now you're looking at it from the lens of industry. What is the solution? How much is it going to cost us to actually solve this problem? Right. So that's what, what I mean by lens of industry is to say, okay, well, how if I were the one delivering this, what do I need to know? So that's what we're doing in market research. You're trying to understand it from the, from the provider's perspective. Yep. So into the FAR stuff here, there's actually a FAR part to, that covers market research, and this is a blessedly short part of the FAR. It's possibly the least prescriptive part of the FAR there is. It says, yeah, pr- it pretty much says you have to do market research, and it gives you a couple hints about what market research is, but it doesn't get down into the nits like most of the rest of the FAR does, about exactly what the shalls and shall nots are. So what's in FAR, FAR Part 10 that's, that's, that's worth talking about here really is that it basically says it's the government's process. Market research is the government's process to find out what's the most suitable approach to acquire, distribute, support, find, buy, whatever, the supplies and services. Yep. So most suitable approach. And that, that that's a pretty common sense of way of looking at it because if you're buying something yourself, that's... What's the most suitable approach to solve this problem? So the FAR actually says, conduct market research appropriate to the circumstances. So this is the idea where if you're buying something really complex, like an aircraft, 
you might have to do quite a bit of market research to get down to what is the true requirement. If you're buying something simple, like maybe a lawnmower, then market research could be very quick at online search or or go to your Home Depot or Lowe's and check them out. Exactly. That's a very very good way to say it, is understanding the difference of how complex is this requirement and how much time should you spend on it. We're not trying to make the case that every acquisition should have this level of, of process in it. Right. Cause that's, that's, and that goes back to the creativity and judgment part of the contracting officer <laughs> from experience. You're going to learn how much do I need versus you know, how much could I put into this? Right. So let me give you an example of, of or a couple of examples of the kind of things that this, this part is supposed to answer. So one is what can meet the requirement? When you do a market research, you're saying, does, does the product or service even exist? Going back to what's the requirement. So we, we, if you go back to the requirements, we talked about the, uh, we had grass that was growing up ahead of the, or was growing up so high you couldn't see out the window. So, okay, in that case, the product to solve that problem does exist, right? But there are other problems that, that we, we need to be able to get better fuel economy for this vehicle. We need this vehicle to float. Well, okay, that may not exist, but your market research is going to tell you that. And then the answer, or then you get into things like, well, do we need to develop it? Is yep. it a commercial item? Do is we it already out there? Do we need development? Do we need to take a commercial item and change it a bit to, to actually meet our requirement? Correct. Otherwise known as uh, modified commercial items. And then how much will it cost? And this goes back to the idea of can we even afford this? Uh, there's always a, a budgetary discussion. Not always. Often. There it is again. There's often a budgetary discussion between <laughs> – Contracting officer, the program manager, the user, the budget folks, the finance folks, you know, there's, there's limited you know, money for things, right? And it may be a matter of we would like to be able to do all these great things, but to have it do all these great things, we can't afford that. So let's go back and see maybe it can do 80% of that. And that's, this is a, that makes me think of another great cast will be one on evolutionary uh, contract development where you, you buy something and then you tweak it, next contract tweaks it more. So remind me to <laughs> write that one down. Exactly. So, so that's the the what solutions are out there that can meet our requirements. Then you also you're trying to figure out who can meet the requirement and provide a solution. How much how much company how much companies how much competition are there amongst the companies out there? How many companies are there? Are there lots of them? Are there only a few of them? Are they small businesses? Are they large businesses? Are they both? Because this is, this is a point where if if there are small businesses that are capable of doing it, you you need to consider a set aside. Exactly. And then you get into things like, is there an, an, an original equipment manufacturer? In other words, can that small business manufacture this item? Or is it something that we can just buy from a, a reseller? So, and in, in I'll, I'll use examples of somewhere, sometimes a software license is something that a reseller can just, can, is, is actually selling to you, you're buying it commercially. Or are they writing custom code? And both of those requirements exist in the government all over the place. But understanding, what does the market research say? Because what, what I think you'll find, and, and listeners, you'll, you'll see this too, a lot of times you think, oh, I need to f- solve this problem in my software, and look, there's an app for that. <laughs> Somebody's already thought of that, right? So that's what market research feels like, is you realize, oh, look, that's, a, that's effectively an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer. Somebody else already makes this. I can just buy it from them. Or in some cases, they don't, the products aren't sold directly, and you've got to buy them through a reseller. So all of that is who, is, who am I able to buy this from? Yep. And that's part of the who. Yep. And a quick aside, if you find out that what you need is commercially available and you don't need to alter it or anything, uh, the FAR says you have to use FAR Part 12 to acquire that. So, so And that's that, actually – that actually isn't – I 
I should probably look this up. We'll confirm this. If it's, we'll come back and delete this if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that, that uh, in FAR Part 10, it specifically says the preferences for commercial. Well, so just just like you said, if you find this is commercially available, then turn your laser over to FAR Part 12 and use that. So just, just a heads up. <laughs> exactly. So, so the next... Sorry, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next big item is how will we acquire it? We, we being you know, the contracting officer and the acquisition team. So now we're into, okay, we know wh- what is out there that can do it. We know that it exists. We know who can make it. It's a small business set aside. And now you get into, okay, what type of contract? Are we going to do a trade-off or a lowest price that's acceptable? Um, how long will the contract be? Is past performance going to be important? Um, you know, how, how do we need to test it? Uh, do we need a testing process? Can we just get product samples and then test them ourselves? Or is it something more sophisticated like you know, body armor that you need to actually use a specific range to test? So there's all these pieces that go into how do we acquire it. That's part of the market research because you need to decide that before you get into launching the RFP. Because <laughs> you need to understand how can we actually buy this. And from, a, from an industry perspective, understand that the, the contracting officer and, and team are looking at these kind of things. So understanding that your customer buys your products and services through LPTA, lowest price technically acceptable, for example, you need to know that. If you don't know that up front, you're going to be really frustrated when you find that out a zone from now when the RFP comes out at LPTA. So that's why it's important that both both sides are communicating here. And we'll get into more of the communication piece later. Right. All right, so we've talked about what market research is. Let's talk about the different types of market research. Okay, this is one of, uh, one of my, my favorite areas because it, it helps clarify what exactly is happening. So secondary market research, and this is you know, out of a marketing class that we may have taken in college, but secondary market research is when you're not actually talking to the provider. So it's faster, it's more, it's more general, it's, you're assessing the industry by doing things like you know, Googling them, you're doing a search on the kind of companies. So let's, say, let's say you're buying a, a library move. You, you need somebody to move a library for you. And you Google companies that can move uh, there because you think about what you're doing. You're, you're not just picking up stuff and moving it. You have to reorganize it. You know, it's a library, right? So there's a, there's a specific process there. So you look for companies that can actually do that. You're probably going to look through, I mean, not only are you going to do a Google search, but you'll probably do a small business, um, small business search. You're going to look in SAM for companies that had that NAICS. I mean, that, that's going to be secondary market research. And depending on, on like things like trade shows, conferences, let's say there's a trade journal for library moves, but you know, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds here, but you get the point, <laughs> is that you, you, you have a, a customer who, who manages that library. They understand that, that world. So they know what the what these companies can do. They know what's required, et cetera. So they're paying attention to that industry. I know the world's getting hyper segmented, but I doubt there's a trade journal just for people that move libraries. But. It would not surprise <laughs> me. Okay, I apologize for the lawnmower in the background. That's funny since we always talk about lawn mowing services. <laughs> yeah, you wonder where the lawnmower came from. So, so secondary market research is so in an industry day, for example. That would be secondary market research because you're not having one-on-ones. You're saying, hey, industry, can, who, who can do this? And the people that show up, they're going to give you a general assessment of what they can do. They're not going to tell you, this is exactly how I would do it. These are the kind of things that are, this is how fast I can do it. They're not going to tell you about their capability. It's general. That's secondary market research. And for a lot of commercial purchases, that's really all you need. And for most things that you and I would buy, like if you're buying a, a computer or a book or a, 
or a, a desk or a yep. car or you know lots of things. You're going to use secondary research. Primary market research, that's when you're targeting what can the potential offerers do. See the difference is on, on the secondary, you're looking at what can industry do, what, what is the overall, whereas primary, you're talking to individual companies. Yeah, that's Slowly, a good point. It's more targeted. It tends to be, it tends to be more effort for both the government team and the uh, industry or the offerers, but it also has more benefits because you, now you know what they really can do. So that's what like one-on-ones, responses to RFIs for requests for Right, right. This is the part where it, it, it's more f- formal for the government, where they, there's actually defined ways that the government goes about primary market research. Secondary market research is, is not so defined, but, but yeah, you were just starting to go through the list. Uh, requests for information where the government sends out just a little blurb that says, hey, we're interested in doing this kind of thing. Let us know if you think you can do this. And everybody sends in, I mean, white paper is the, the common term, but a short synopsis of their company's capabilities or, or their solution and how it applies to what they think the government wants to buy. And this is just that, the, the beginning of, of, hey, who's out there that could do this? Who specifically is out there that can do this? Um, from, from there, you might move it uh, to that draft RFP where you've refined things much more, but you're still still in that market research phase. You're, you're getting feedback. There's open communications. Um, what else is there? Uh, the, the industry day, you, you, you talked about it before where you could have a broad, uh, like almost like a, from a conference or a trade show where people tell you about all the great things they can do. Uh, primary market research, you might have an industry day or a bidder's conference or a pre-solicitation conference where you invite everyone in and you give them you, you, you as the government present in more detail to the industry what your requirement is, and you actually schedule one-on-one sessions for industry to tell you about their solution. And this is, before we get go any farther, I, this, is, this is a very important point. One-on-ones are the only time you're actually going to learn anything if you are <laughs> on the government side. At the industry day, it's great. You, you get up and you tell them all about your requirement and maybe you even have your draft acquisition strategy together and you say any questions and industry sits there and stares at you because at that point they're not ready to ask questions to have their competitors figure out their strategy or to learn how much they know or don't know about solving the 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 problem that the government's presenting so you will get almost nothing in a public forum but this is why you schedule one-on-one meetings and you know, give give the uh, if you're a CEO, give your contractors a break. Schedule it in advance. Let them know if they have to travel. Let them know exactly what time their uh, briefing is and how much time they have. But this is this is where you're going to learn. This is where contractors are going to be able to tell you exactly privately what they can do. And this is where they're trying to sell you as this this the government acquisition team, they're trying to sell you that their solution is actually your requirement. Most, most important part of market research in my mind. I I don't know what you think, Kevin. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it pretty well. Uh, (laughs) The other, the other, to give you an additional detail on that, you can listen to podcast number eight. And that's where we talked about the RFI, the draft RFP and things like industry day. Uh, And the other kind of Big picture from a big big picture perspective on this one is going back to 
market research appropriate to the acquisition. And this is a great area to talk about that, is that for a lot of acquisitions, secondary market research is all you need. For probably, I don't know, pick a number, half of them maybe, more than half of the ones that, I, that I've worked on. The primary market research really made the difference. And, and here's the other fun part. Within primary market research, meaning the, the one-on-ones and the actual inter- interaction and the RFIs and stuff, RFI responses, even within that, you can get into appropriate levels of detail. So what I mean by that is that the RFI, if you ask for three or four items that you just want to understand what can industry do, or you could ask for, you know, give me these 20 po- uh, bullet points that we want to learn about. There's a lot of effort on both sides. So be very careful that you want to get the minimal amount of information to help you make your, your strategy. So it's very easy to, to blow this out of proportion. And it's also very easy to ignore the opportunity. So this is, that, this is another one of those art, not science areas where experience teaches this from both sides of how much information to ask for and how much information yeah, to get. That's, that's a good point. I, I've been involved in lots of major system acquisition situations where you do a whole lot of formal industry day and lots of planning and lots of time and energy, and it, and it felt appropriate for for whatever giant thing we're we're buying. Haven't been as much. Uh, I haven't done as much of the stuff that you have, where there's many, many, many companies that that can satisfy the requirement. And and even like what I consider to be mid-sized contracts, like twenty-five to fifty million dollar contracts for vehicles and for uh, testing services and for just equipment in general and and for that matter just general uh, services all of those it's the same thing where you can get into we want just enough information to be able to understand this requirement through the lens of industry i should i should make that a title in my book or something that whole lens of industry idea that's pretty good so so one of your requirements for future lawn mowing services is that that they they don't mow the lawn at whatever time we're recording podcasts yeah this is that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. So let's move on to what should the government be de- te- blah, what should the government team be doing during the market research zone and what should industry be doing during the market research zone? So the government team is trying to figure out what can industry actually do. The government team is trying to figure out, and, and we're hitting some of the same bullets, but we'll, we'll talk into more detail here. What can industry actually do? And the actually part's a big deal here because it's very easy to say, oh, well, I Googled this and your company, their website says they can do this. And I, let me give you an example of I've, I've done that before where I was buying, um, we'll, we'll leave out the, 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 the more detailed part of it. I was buying a, a vehicle that, that, that they were tweaking. We'll see, leave it that way. And the market research, the websites, the, all, all the information about this said that there are lots of companies that can do this. And But what it came down to when we did some primary research, we realized, that, okay, they could do parts of it. They could do the general part of it. But what we specifically wanted, we didn't realize was the basics and then some. And that and then some part was a challenge for people. So when we got, when we got the proposals and, we're, and it's the and, – and again, I'm, I'm being very um, nebulous on purpose. I apologize. But the and then some part was really the challenge for people, and it became obvious during the draft RFP, and then particularly during the proposals, is that that was where the challenges showed up. So if we had only done uh, secondary market research, and going back to this question of what can industry actually do, not what does their marketing say, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm as a as a as a business owner, it's very easy to spin your marketing and say we can do everything because you know you, it's, it's it's marketing, right? But it's very easy to get sucked into that, and that's why it's so important to, to figure out what can the industry actually do? 
And then the other part is what's the most effective and efficient way to have this competition? And that's the, you know, the path of least resistance strategy. To a lot of, and I was a big fan of that as a contracting yeah. officer. Is it appropriate for a sealed bid? Exactly. Or is it, is it appropriate to do this as lowest price technically acceptable? Is it appropriate to have it a 30-day uh, cycle for the proposal, or do we need 45 days? Yep. You know, all of those things, How do we? what's the most effective way to get this done? If yeah, you listen getting to back all into these cell, Section uh, L&M, how many pages do we need to describe this requirement? How many factors do we need to differentiate? Uh, how, how are we going to set up the, the evaluation? All this comes from, from the market research zone. Right, and they're also trying to figure out, and this is the zoom out part, how does this puzzle fit together? Like, How are they going to put all these pieces together to make the best combination of meeting the requirement in the right schedule at the right price? That, right. That's the puzzle. And then the other part is that they, they want to know how and with what solution can industry solve this problem. They're trying to figure that out. During this market research, they're trying to figure out, is this something that Lots of companies can do. Is this something that a few companies can do? What is the solution? And then, and then you and I talk about this during the RFP uh, RFP discussion of can industry even do this, or are we looking at an R and D requirement? Yeah, is, that, is our does our requirement is it solvable right now, or do we need to change something, or even chop it into pieces and let's solve this first piece now, and we'll once we get that solved, then we'll know enough to write the requirement for the rest of the stuff we're dreaming about. Otherwise known as an evolutionary acquisition strategy. That'll be a fun podcast we'll do at some point. Okay. So that's, that's what the government is doing. What is industry doing at this point? Industry is already competing. That's what, that's what market research zone is all about. This is, from the industry side, it's marketing, and they're doing it all the time. There is no zone for this. It's, it's 24-7 marketing. So the industry is trying to fi- find out what, what, what the requirement actually is or, or will be and trying to... In, inform the government team in a way that makes the government team shift the requirement around to more towards what what your solution from what your company's solution is and we talked about that a lot during the requirement zone conversation but this this is industry's chance to convince the government that their solution is what the government wants to buy now let me divide this into the secondary and primary. The secondary market research phase, this is where industry, just example, say say in your personal life you want to buy a car. The secondary market research is where there's car ads on TV all the time. You open up a magazine, you see ads. Whenever you surf anywhere, there's pop-ups about cars, or seem to be anyway. In movies, they they do product placement, and there'll be a, you know, you'll see a specific uh, BMW or Audi car that that the hero of the movie is driving, and that's that's to make you think that that's the coolest car ever, and, and it's to build that desire for you. That's all secondary stuff in the background. the The primary piece is is the the direct marketing, and uh, you and I have very, we probably have exactly the same opinions about about the value of different types of secondary marketing because email spam is another one of those things. And I know you uh, in your business and, and uh, me at, at my company, I get emails every day from people that really have no idea what I do evidently I, and, and phone calls. I'll get cold calls asking, you know, about do, do we need, do we want to borrow money? Do we need financing? You know, and I work, I work for a really big company that, that, 
has all that stuff worked out. Plus, I have zero power to do that. But that's <laughs> that's uh, bad secondary marketing. Well, let, let me let me no, let me jump in for a second there because that's here's an example of why it's so important to target. Put on the contracting officer hat when I was working on. I guess we'll call it, when I, when I worked vehicle programs, a special operations command, I very often got emails and phone calls from people trying to sell software to special operations command. At, at that t- there were times in my career when I worked at uh, Peterson Air Force Base and when I worked at Patrick Air Force Base, and even when I worked at Wright-Patterson, that I happened to be buying software of some sort. So it kind of made sense at the time. But in that position, which it was pretty clear to understand based on and if you had targeted what my group, what the customer I supported bought, I didn't need to buy software. So they were just you know, using the, the wind-up doll strategy of sales, which is if I just throw my stuff around enough, I'm going to sell something, right? Well, that leaves a bad impression upon the contracting officer. And so that's very similar to the, the spam that we get now, right? And because the government market is so big, you have lots of opportunities to spam lots of people and waste lots of time. So that's why this is so important is that it's very easy to pick out, okay, this small business does X. Therefore, they're not a customer for me. Therefore, I as a salesman shouldn't contact them. Okay, that's easy. In the government, that can be very, obviously, based on experience, it seems like it's harder because we used to get emails from people trying to sell us stuff that at the time we weren't buying. So it's very important to understand how you target. So the other part that jumps out at me here is this idea of the companies are trying to target and shape the requirement. Let me show you what that feels like. It sounds nefarious and, and, and like there's games going on. But for example... If it's a service, require, a service contract that's competed every few years and it's something that company X is the incumbent on, company X is trying to make sure that past performance is more important because that's what they're really good at. And they have, they have a really good point. It's not because they're just doing it to be selfish. The point is you want people who have been doing this for a while to continue to do it. It's common sense. So if you come out and say, we're doing this LPTA, and they're trying to convince you before that comes out LPTA, lowest price technically acceptable, where you're just shopping on price. They're trying to convince you you need to make past performance a big part of this or you're just going to get the cheapest people that are out there. And, and of course, you know, you, sometimes you get what you pay for. So th- th- we're not saying that shaping is bad. We're not saying that influencing the requirement and the acquisition strategy is bad. It's, it's communication. It's going back to the value of this, of this podcast is a contracting officer should understand industry isn't doing this to try and trick you into giving the contract to them. They're trying to say, in order for me to spend the effort to compete for this, it needs to be something that I can actually win. And one of the ways to make it worth for me to actually win is that my strength is something you're going to give more weight to. And that's what, in this, if in this example I just made up, is the idea of my past performance is my strength. No, I like that. Uh, that that's a great way to describe it. So yeah, that the, this whole idea of communicating with industry, I think, and, and I again, this is something that I I didn't do as good of a job with as a contracting officer because I assumed they were trying to trick me. No, and, I, was, I was horrible and I was paranoid, and people people didn't. The the government is not good at teaching contracting officers that they need to communicate and talk to industry, and that's that's one of our whole. That's one of the things we we grind on all the time with the, the for the po- contracting officer podcast that's one of the reasons why why we do this every week is is to enhance that communication and market research zone communication is wide open there are not there are not restrictions if you're an in industry yes you can talk to the contracting officer or the 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 users if you're on the government side if you're the user or the ceo you can talk to the companies 
and you can talk to them for different lengths of time. You don't have to say, I talked to one guy for 10 minutes. I need to call every other potential offer and give them exactly 10 minutes to talk, talk to me. <laughs> this is wide open at this point. Yes, and go back to podcast number eight, and you can really get into the, the aperture closing. So the last thing I want to talk about here is that in the requirements phase, we talked about how the industry and government are far apart, far apart in communication. Because at this point, it isn't what industry can do. It's what is the requirement. So contracting officer is probably trying to keep industry from influencing it, going back to the, the example of the, uh, the yard, the grass is up in front of the window. You don't want somebody coming in saying, I need, here, here's my lawnmower that'll fix it. Let's decide what the problem is first, right? So they're not even trying not to even talk as much at this point. So there's a lot of, you know, it's almost, I don't want to say it's adversarial, but there's, there's a little bit of, please don't influence my requirement until I'm able to pin down what we actually need, okay? We're past that now. We've decided what the requirement is. Now it's, okay, the aperture is open because I want to get your input, you industry, how can you solve my problem? So, so they're, they're, we're getting closer together now. And we talk about this as, as we're getting closer and closer together until we actually have a contract where we're on the same page eventually in, after the source selection phase. But the market research phase is that communication is more open. The, they're trying to pull the two sides together. And that's why there's, this is not adversarial from the perspective of the, the contracting officer should not feel like somebody's trying to influence that unfairly influence what you're doing. They're trying to communicate. You want them to tell you this is the kind of stuff we can do. If you do this as a one-year contract and keep competing it over and over again instead of doing it as a five-year IDIQ, here's the problem it creates for us. Here's the, the banking flaws it creates for me. It's not worth it for me because from a cash flow perspective, there's not enough, uh, there, there's not enough upside to winning the contract that I can get a factoring company to help me actually fund the payroll to make sure I have enough employees to do it. That kind of stuff I never even thought of as a contracting officer, but those are real problems that small businesses deal with, and even large businesses, depending on the size of the contract. Because you're going to have those people. You're promising to have those people available year to year. Well, if you only get the contract for one year, which may be a strategy the contracting officer uses, you're creating problems that you don't even know about. Well, the only way to know about those problems is during the market research phase. Yep. And that's the kind of communication we're trying to drive through this podcast. Yep. This is where you refine those requirements and you circle back to the requirement zone and, and – create a new requirements document, and you may go from there straight into the RFP zone, which is the zone after the market research zone, or you may go through more market research after you've refined your requirement. I can think of a, a couple quick examples. Say, say you want to buy water bottles, and you want to know what, what types of water delivery systems are there for, for a, a soldier or a person. Well, when you first start, you might not be thinking of all the variables about how you're going to use this this thing. You know, does does it need does it need to be able to ha- be frozen? Does it you know expandable so that that if the water freezes, it doesn't break the bottle? Do you want to carry it in your hand? Is is it is it something that hooks on your belt, or is it is it one of those camelbacks that it you know where it's a, a backpack with a, a spout on a tube that that you use? When you first when you first dream up, yes, we need a way to deliver water to ourselves and in a in a portable manner you may not you may not have even thought through all those variables and you know you have to expand this to to some of the very complex things the government buys uh to for this analogy to work but through the process of market research through using the internet or walking down the aisle at the sporting goods store or you know if it's if it's a more complex thing having all the people that make these these water carrying delivery portable systems, whatever, have them come tell you all about them. That, that's where you might go back and you might say, you know what? 
we we don't there, no one's going to have a hand to hold this thing so it either needs to fit in whatever backpack or whatever we have or maybe needs to be a backpack or something that that is a hands-free water delivery system like the camelback you might find that out at this point and go back and change your requirements so that is what the offers give you and a bunch of offers don't give you things that that require hands and then you have to evaluate all their proposals as well exactly that's yeah. a very, very very good summation all right, so that, that's the market research phase. We again, this is another one that we could talk through for you know an hour and a half, but we're trying right, to right. Stuff. We covered what it is, what it accomplishes for the government. We talked about what the different types of specific types that the government uses are. Talked about what the government team should be doing uh, in this zone, what industry should be doing at this zone, and most importantly, we talked about what type of communications are available. And as a reminder, at this point, wide open. And, and encouraged. That's the other part is yeah. that if, if, if a acquisition team is not actively encouraging industry to communicate, you should be because th- this is the time when, when you want them to communicate and you, you need their input in order to make the competition work effectively. So that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned since, since being a contracting officer that I didn't do as well as I should <laughs> Rather than give more examples of that, we'll just yeah, leave di- it. Ditto. Let's end it now. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, Kevin. See ya. All right, that's it for this episode. If you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to our website, contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.